Open your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Corinthians 5. I want to talk this morning, uh, uh, briefly, uh, but I want to talk this morning about what uh, literally in our life uh, moves us. What, what gets us to a place, I'm calling my sermon today, a tale of two motives. Mark Twain said, uh, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. You see, we're all trying to figure out, what am I here for? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, preacher, I see you standing there, and you know what you need to do. You know what you need. But what am I supposed to do? Or you've got a family member that seems to have everything worked out. They, 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 they've got a great business or a great job, and they're just, they love it. Their kids seem like to never have bad hair days. Everything is just hunky-dory. But you're trying to figure out, what about me? What about in my life? What am I supposed to do? Now, Mark Twain uh, wrote a lot of funny and even smart uh, one-liners, but he was not an apostle, okay? So the idea of the most important day of your life being when you're born... Is, is okay, but I would say it like this. The most important day in your life is when you're born again. And then probably subordinate to that is when you find out why. Because when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you are immediately recruited into the kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. We don't understand kingdom in 2016. We understand uh, 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 citizenship a little bit. We understand countries and states. And if you're, if you're, if you're a Texas A&M Aggie, we understand uh, tradition. Uh, but at the same time, we don't really understand kingdom. Kingdom is a different thing. Kingdom is something that you become a part of when you say yes to God. That means that you have been given the authority of the kingdom that you represent when you say yes to Christ. Like for me, I'm a son of Larry and Candy Hallam. Doesn't matter where I go, where I am at any point in time, that's who I am. I'm a son of Larry and Candy Hallam. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter where you find yourself. doesn't matter how you got there. You are a son or a daughter of God the Father because you have been grafted in by faith into the family of God, whereby being a part of the kingdom of God. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, one of the main things that he mentioned was, I want you to pray that God's kingdom would come here. Well, is God fixing to drop golden streets uh, over the top of University Drive or what's going to happen? No, he's saying, I want my kingdom to operate through my people where my people are. That means you're not bound by everything that everybody else is bound by because you are a member of the family. You are a member of the kingdom of God. Now, when you get born again, uh, it's the most joyful thing that can happen to you. But when you get born again, you are born again for a reason. God has a purpose for you. God has a job for you. God has a reason for you to still be here. Uh, uh, the, the, the fact that you're born again means that you find out that you are found in Him. Number one, you're found in Him. That means you can't look for yourself anywhere else. You look for yourself where you find Him. You look for yourself in the Word of God. Have you ever read the Bible and then all of a sudden the Bible starts reading you? 
That's because you're in Him. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. You have found yourself. The Bible says that when you're a believer and when you get baptized, like we're going to do in a couple weeks, that you are clothed in Christ. It means you put on Christ. That means whenever you go before the Father, God's not looking. Uh, Johnny, stand up for me, please. Uh, God's not looking at Johnny. He's not sitting there going, okay, Johnny, you did this, 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 and this. I can't believe you did that. No, he's sitting there and going, oh, hey, Jesus, how are you doing? Because you are inside of Christ, the Bible says. Thank you, brother. You are inside of Christ. The Bible says that he doesn't see your situation because he's looking through his son. The son never did anything wrong. That's why you can stand boldly before the throne and make your request known unto God. Not because you didn't do anything wrong, because he didn't do anything wrong. It says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's because you didn't have to have it all together before you found him. His yoke is easy as burn as light. That's because he knew who you were before he decided to save you and still said yes when you asked him. No, you find yourself in him. But we still get to the place and we say, well, what should I do? What should I not do? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, one of the shortest verses in our New Testament, says we walk by faith, not by sight. Matter of fact, let's read that together. One, two, three, go. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. That means I won't always see the next step. The great Paul Crouch Sr., uh, uh, founder and creator of the largest network in the whole wide world, and I left the word Christian out because the Trinity Broadcast Network is the largest network in the entire world, Christian or otherwise. 24 hours a day pumping the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world. He did it in one lifetime. He said this. He said, faith is this. Faith is going to the edge of all the light you can see and taking one more step. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by what we see. We walk by faith. The Bible says that His Word is a lamp unto our feet. Think about carrying a lantern. It's a lamp unto our feet so you can see a little bit in front of you. And it's a light unto our path. Think about like a flashlight. You can see it. But the problem is a light and a lamp don't do you any good around a corner. And sometimes God's going to tell you to take a turn. So if I'm going this way, excuse me as I move my pulpit or whatever this thing's called. It doesn't look like a pulpit, does it? But anyway, if I'm going this way and I'm shining my light, pretend this whole thing's solid on this side. I can't see anything on the other side. It doesn't matter how bright the light is. There's a place where I've got to get to this. I've got to get here. And if I want to see what's on the other side of this thing, I'm going to have to take another step. See, we can't walk by what we see. We have to walk by faith. We have to believe God in the face of adversity. We have to believe God in the face of our trial, in the face of our situation. And when you do, then and only then do you begin to develop the ability to see the next step because some things you can't see till you get there. I remember one time, I was 18, 19 years old, and I went to a, a, a church service with my grandfather who's in heaven today. I went to a church service with my grandfather and uh, there was a prophet there and he began to prophesy to me. Have you ever gone through a season in your life? Who has been in church long enough to know what I'm talking about when you, you just, somebody's reading your mail, somebody's you know, just sitting there just talking to you? Well, I was in a season of my life where I was like, I was, almost didn't want to be around people who flowed in the prophetic gifts, okay? Because it, it, was, like, it was like, you know, it was like you know, a sermon we fixed to start and say, oh, you son, come up here, come up here, come up here. 
And I'm like, oh. Everywhere I went, it was just a season of my life where, man, every God was just trying to get some information into me and, and literally rescue me from some stuff, but get some information. And I'm sitting there, and this guy's preaching a great sermon, and he stopped three times in the middle of his sermon and prophesied to me. And every time, he was more right than the first time. He's telling me stuff that only I knew, and then he was telling me, and I feel like the Lord wants you to know this. So sometimes what will happen, the prophetic is a powerful thing. Everybody say prophetic. Prophetic. The prophetic is a powerful thing because uh, New Testament prophecy almost always builds up and edifies. It, it, It builds you up. Now, there is a form of prophecy that would be, uh, the, the King James Version would consider it almost like soothsaying, where it's like telling the future, and that is a prophetic utterance. But another form of the prophetic is whenever somebody knows something on the inside of you that only uh, you know and God had to have told them, therefore that will make you key up and listen to the next thing they say. Does that make sense? So it's a powerful thing when it happens. But this guy, he was saying all this stuff to me. And one of the things he said to me, he says, he said, God says he will meet you at the intersections of your life. And I thought, well, bless God, that's good news. And I got to thinking about it because sometimes a word of God will come into your spirit or you'll hear something and you can just just chew on it for weeks, months. There's some things I've been chewing on for years and years and God will just give me a little bit more. It's the same word, God just give me a little bit more understanding, a little bit more revelation on it. But if I told you to drive to Houston, I would tell you to get on... Uh, University Drive, and I, or, or, or however you want to get there, but I would say go to University Drive until you hit Highway 6, and I'd tell you to turn right. And I would not tell you, don't turn uh, uh, at Harvey. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say, don't turn at Rock Prairie. I wouldn't say, don't turn at Navasota. I would say, when you get to Hempstead, you want to take 290 to the left. Because sometimes in our life, God is wanting you to walk by faith, believing that when there is a turn necessary, that He will let you know and He will expose it to you. But He's not going to tell you everywhere not to turn if He told you how to go in the first place. So when he says go, you got to believe on him and you've got to trust that he's big enough, powerful enough, smart enough and all those other things to tell you when you need to throw the blinker on and take a right or a left because sometimes we're going to walk by faith for a pretty good while and then the sight will show up but most of the time the sight happens in hindsight because when Moses wanted to see God, God said that I can't show you my front part because you'll fall and die meaning the goodness of God is so overwhelming it will make you drop dead. He said, but I will place you on the inside of a rock. He said, the cleft of a rock. And then later on, the Bible would say that the building block that was rejected became the cornerstone of the whole new world, which is Jesus Christ, which means Moses, metaphorically, I'm going to put you on the inside of the rock of ages. I'm going to put you on the inside of Christ Jesus. Therefore, you can live in my presence, but you won't see my front part. But when I pass by, I will move my hand and you'll be able to see my hinder part. You'll be able to see my train. My grandmother used to sing a song. It'd go like this. It'd say, I see the Lord. I see the Lord. He is high and lifted up. And His train fills the temple. The angels cry holy. 
The angels cry holy. The angels cry holy is the Lord. So here's Moses stuck in the cleft of the rock. Here's God got his hand on. He said, you can't see my front part because that'll kill you. The goodness of God will make you fall on the carpet and repent so fast and so urgent that sometimes he can't show you the whole plan. So he's got his hands on him. He passes by. He moves his hands. Then he sees the backside of God, which is to say this. You won't always see God coming, but without a shadow of any doubt, you will see where he's been in your life we walk by faith number two everybody said number two you have a strategic purpose and oftentimes you will not see the next step until you've taken the first step your strategic purpose is so on point and on plan that the Bible says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Which means you were very strategically made. God didn't just haphazardly put you where you live. God didn't just haphazardly put you uh, in your family. God didn't just haphazardly put you in the school that you're in. No, you are fearfully and wonderfully, you are strategically made by God and for God. That means when you go through this life, when you live for God to the best of your ability, you're going to be moved into things and out of things. But it's a very strategic purpose. Now, your strategic purpose uh, oftentimes can shift and change. That means there might be a season in your life when you're called to this and then a season in your life when you're called to something else. It doesn't mean that God didn't tell you to do the first thing or lead you to do the first thing. It just means that there are seasons and times in our life. One of the biggest pitfalls of a Christian is we want to know what, God, do you want me to do for the rest of my life? We want to know, give me the thing that you want me to do. I'm about to give it to you. Everybody ready? Press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. But what God will have you doing in a season, where God will position you in a season, it can vary and it can change. Uh, sometimes, listen to this, sometimes the greatest thing you can do for the kingdom of God is just survive. You so say, what do you mean just survive? I mean just survive. You remember when Job went through his trial and he lost his whole family and he lost everything? You know, God didn't tell him, all right, now raise up and go build a bunch of uh, uh, missionary outposts and I want you to put six churches over in Macedonia. I want you to get it done. No, Job's job at that time was just survive. Moses, he was placed in a basket when he was a little baby. The only thing that he was supposed to do was live. Just make it through it. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes we're in a season where we just got to get through it. Sometimes we're in the valley of the shadow of death. I didn't say you're in the valley of death. I said you're in the valley of the shadow of death because a shadow never hurt anybody. Come on, somebody. And you just got to get through it. Moses got a little older and he got to be trained as a prince. Sometimes you're in a preparation and an education time of your life. 
where you're, you're literally, you don't even know all the things, the protocols that you might be learning in this season of your life that will prepare you for the next season. Then another time, Moses was out uh, uh, tending sheep and, and building a family. Sometimes a season of your life might just mean, hey, I'm just here to work on my family for a while, okay? Let everything else, you know, just, just put it on the back burner. But, but this is the season for me. I, I'm just working on my family right now. He said, well, what about all the other stuff? You'll lose your family if you don't do that. Nobody's immune. Nobody. Sometimes there's a season you just work on your family. Sometimes there's a season where you kids, there's been times in, in Crystal and I's life, you, you guys know our kids, they're beautiful and wonderful and everything, but sometimes there's seasons where we just go, hey, you know, we're seeing a little something here. We're about to take two or three days and we're going to work on family. Well, what do you do? I said, what do, what do you mean, what do we do? We just work on family. Well, how do you do that? We spend time around one another. There is no uh, 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 alternative to time, okay? So if you don't like the way something's going, bless God, change it. It's like underwear. Works great, but you still need to change it. (laughs) Can we edit that actually out of the... Oh, it's just us, y'all. <laughs> Work on family. Then all of a sudden, Moses became the deliverer. Now, if he hadn't gone through the preparation season, how would he have even known how to get to the palace to talk to the Pharaoh? How would he have known the protocol to speak to a Pharaoh? How would he have known, how to, how would he have known any of those things if he hadn't spent that time in preparation? Sometimes the season of preparation in our life, we get jumpy and we want to go before, we, before it's time to go. And if we go before it's time to go, we're not going to be prepared when we get there. Then all of a sudden he became a deliverer. Listen, then he became a trail boss. Head them up, move them out. We're going over the the Red Sea. We're going to walk through the desert and God's going to give us a whole bunch of land. Milk and honey, it's going to be amazing. Then all of a sudden, he became a priest. Friend of God. Came to deliver the word of God to the people in difficult times. I mean, I'm glad we got some manna. But he said milk and honey. He, he, I'm glad we got this quail. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. But he said milk and honey. Then all of a sudden, Moses had to spend some time working on his relationship with God. Meet me on top of the mountain, Mo. You and me are going to talk for a little over a month. Then and only then will you be ready to lead my people where I want you to take my people. There's seasons in your life when you're going to need to just work on your relationship with God because if you're not walking with, strong with God, you're not going to be as good or as beneficial to everybody else as you could be. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I love everything that we do, everything. But I'm not losing my soul. I'm not going to hell for anybody. My children aren't going to hell for anybody. My children aren't walking away from the things of God for anybody. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Noah building his ark. It just so happened that he took his whole family with him. There are seasons in your life that will change. Trying to be too finite in your walk with God can limit 
your ability to hear from God. I'm going to say that again. Being too finite in your walk with God. Finite just means too final. Trying to uh, know every single step before the next step. Trying to be too finite. That can cause you or limit you from hearing from God. Because there are seasons in our life that change. God made, uh, God made the earth and he made four wonderful seasons. Or if you're in Texas too. <laughs> hot and cold. And you never know when they're going to show up. But things change. You're strategically made in position. So instead of constantly being worried about what should you do for the rest of your life, you know what you should do. Press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. But exactly the, the specifics of that, no, that can change just like Moses' life. That can change just like David's life. That can change just like Peter's life. That can change just like Paul's life. That can change just like Johnny's life. That can change just like Larry's life, Greg's life, or anybody else's life that loves and serves God. It can change just like that. But finding out exactly what God would have you do oftentimes is found on the crux of two motives. The first one would be this. What moves you, number three, what moves you is an indicator of what God is calling you to. Several times in the scripture, the Bible said that Jesus would go around and he would be moved with compassion and then he would do something miraculous. One time in Luke chapter 7, the Bible says that Jesus was walking into a town and literally there was a funeral going on and a widow was about to bury her, her, her youngest son. A widow was about to bury her youngest son and the Bible says that he heard and saw her weeping and he was moved with compassion and he stopped the funeral, touched the young man and raised him from the dead. Other times the Bible said that there would be thousands of people that had come to hear Jesus speak and to hear Jesus preach and they would, he would know, hey, we're a long ways from any McDonald's or any Taco Bell. There's no food out here. They've been following me for two or three days. They've got to be hungry. And the Bible says that he would have compassion on them and he would do something miraculous and feed them. In your life and in my life, a great indicator of what God is calling you to is what are you passionate about? I really only need about five or ten minutes with somebody and I can almost, without a doubt, tell you what they're passionate about. Because it'll, it'll get, we'll get there. It doesn't matter if you started talking about baseball, football, the weather, or, or Valentine's Day. Before it's over, you'll begin to talk about, you'll begin to talk about what you're passionate about. There's nothing wrong with that. On the exact contrary, God put on the inside of us the ability to be moved into different situations and to be moved in different areas that will give a great indication of what you should or shouldn't do. What was Jesus uh, moved by? Jesus was moved by people. He was moved by people then, and He's moved by people now. So my question to you, if you ask me today, what should I be doing? My question would be, what moves you? What stirs compassion on the inside of you? You say, well, I really don't know. Well, I say just keep believing God because we're not walking by what we see anyway. We're walking by faith. Well, I, I don't really have anything that moves me. Well, bless God, left, right, left, right, left, right. Let's keep going. 
Something's going to show up in your life, but it literally sometimes takes you getting to the next step before the next step after that is ever even revealed. Moses had to be tending sheep to see the fiery bush. Moses had to be in the palace to learn how to talk and do all those other things, but he could have never known how he was going to use any of that. No, he's just walking by faith. What moves you is a great indicator of, what's God, of what God's calling you to right now. Everybody say number four. Number four. What you cannot tolerate is an indicator. There are several different ways God can expose what He's calling you to. But so many times in our life, what moves us indicates it. And what we just cannot stand for is an indicator. Nehemiah is a guy in our Bible, and he was a cupbearer, the Bible said, to a king. And he would, he would literally bring the guy his drink and, and take care of him. And he was a Hebrew, and he heard that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He wasn't close to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, something on the inside, it lit a fire on the inside of him. And he could not tolerate the idea that the walls of God's city had been torn down and nobody was doing anything about it. He couldn't stand for it. So he began to uh, believe God. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to go to the king and I'm going to ask the king if he'll let me go rebuild these walls because I can't, I can't sleep at night thinking about those walls. Laying. That's God's city. I can't deal with that. And he said, I, I want to go and rebuild the city walls of, uh, of my people, of my God. And the king said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, not only that. He said, I'll send you out there. He said, I'll give you all the trees and all the resources that you need. So literally, the man was moved by what he refused to tolerate in his spirit. And all of a sudden, the favor of God started hitting the thing. And before he left, he had the resources he needed to do the job. Sometimes it's what you won't tolerate. David, uh, he's a great guy in our Bible, King David. He was just a shepherd boy. He was out tending his sheep, and all of a sudden a, a prophet shows up, pours oil on him, says, you're going to be the next king. He thinks, oh, man, awesome. So he starts thinking about, I'm going to be king of Israel. Everything's going to be wonderful. And the next time that we really see him in the Bible, or one of the next time we see him in the Bible, his daddy tells him, hey, boy, go get your brother some lunch and take it to him. So he's a king, but he's being sent as a typical messenger bringing lunch. But he just said, okay, Daddy, you said I'm supposed to go take him lunch. I'll take him lunch. So he takes him lunch, and he gets there, and uh, there's a big war about to break out because all the Israelites are on one side of a valley, and then the Philistines are on the other side of the valley, and everybody's mad at everybody, and there's this great big old giant named Goliath standing in the middle of the valley, and he's yelling and cussing and screaming and talking about how God's not real and talking about how uh, uh, you guys are just a bunch of floozies and you guys are a bunch of holy rollers and you're taking this thing too far. And he's talking about you, the people on TV, those Christians, they are not real Christians. And I've been hurting church so many times, y'all don't even know about church. He's yelling all that stuff. Your God's not real. You're talking to the wind. You're not talking to anybody when you pray. God's not going to do anything in your life. God's not, if God's real, then, then let him do something to me now. He's saying all the stuff that we've all heard today. There's nothing new under the sun. He's just cursing God. 
And David's sitting there and go, hey, Bubba, I brought you guys some cheese and some bread. And brothers, brothers are like, oh, thanks, David, that's awesome. And all of a sudden he hears over there, he said, he said God's not real, he's not, he's not a real God, and there's no God in Israel, and I'm going to wipe all of y'all out, you're a bunch of cowards. And David's sitting there going over there, this is some of the bread, best bread we've got, I brought some cheese and I gave it to your boss. And he hears that and he goes, what did he say? Now, now these are warriors all around, men of valor, trained in battle, and a little shepherd boy bringing some bread and some cheese shows up. And he hears the same thing that these valiant men were hearing, but he couldn't tolerate it. He said, I don't know that guy. But if he says that one more time, I'm going to snatch one of y'all's swords and I'm going to go fight. Do y'all hear what he is saying? Can I just say this? He didn't look at the soldier next to him and say, What's wrong with you? You should be doing something better. You should be doing something different. Don't you see that guy over there? What's wrong with you? You should be doing this. You should be doing that. No, he said, I will make a difference. We have to recognize that things that we are passionate about and called to... Maybe everybody in your circle is not called to that same area and the last thing you want is to guilt somebody into doing something they're not called to do. Ooh, that's good. David said, I'm not going to listen. I'm not even, I'm not giving. If he doesn't shut his mouth, I'm going to shut it for him. And he goes and he meets the king and the king gives him all his armor. You remember the story. He says, I don't need that. He says, I just need my slingshot. I'm better with my slingshot than I am your sword. Because he went through a season tending sheep and he got really good at it. Some of you don't realize it, but God is honing your weapons right now. You say, I feel like I'm just... I'm just going through and it's just sheep and it's just, I'm just whatever. But, but you're picking up little ideas and you're picking up little, little ambition and you're picking up little resources. And before you know it, when the season comes and it's time for you to really fight, listen, you're going to show up and God never calls you to fight the baby giants. He always calls you to fight the real nasty big ones. He said, I don't need what you got. I need what God put in me. And he went out there, killed the giant, cut his head off, took it through town, later became the king of Israel, of course. But you and I still read about him today because of what he just couldn't tolerate. In your life, sometimes it's, it's, you know, I'm just so moved by this area, and that's a great portion. It's a great indicator. But other times, it's just something, I'm just, listen, while I have breath, it's not going to happen. In my life, it's like this, and it's just plain, plain and simple. While I got breath in my lungs, to the best of my ability, the Brazos Valley is going to have a place where the kingdom of God is going to be magnified, the name of Jesus is going to be lifted up, the sick are going to get prayed for, we're going to see them healed. 
The lost are going to get saved. We're going to reach the unsaved and the unchurched. Period. It's just going to happen. Because something happened in me two years before we came over here where I just started feeling a compassion for a city and an area where we didn't know anybody. We didn't know one person in the town. Not one. We knew the dog, Reveille. That's it. My brother's an Aggie. We knew the dog. And then before you knew it, we, we were driving over here, and Chris and I were going on our dates, and, and we're, we're eating at, at Abuelo's, you know what I'm saying? Have a good week, we're eating at Christopher's, glory to God. Why is it that the more expensive the restaurant, the smaller the steak? We're driving around town. I'm driving around it, man. I'm driving around town, and there's a man walking down the side of the road carrying a, a backpack and a bag of school supplies he just purchased. And my spirit said, I won't stand for somebody having to walk to buy their babies school supplies. Because I could tell that you know, it probably took a lot of his resources to be able to buy those school supplies. I said, I can't stand for that. I won't stand for that. I pulled over. It was blazing hot, too. I said, I said, would you like a ride? Oh, I'd love a ride. Thank you. Gets in my truck. Says, Here's some money. You need any more? Yeah. Well, how much, brother? Come on. <laughs> Trying to be nice here. I see you getting your school supplies. I said, yeah. You know, we've had a rough patch. But I want to make sure my kids, you know, it's important. He, he said, I just want them to have a backpack. All the other kids will have a new backpack. I just want mine to have a new backpack. Had holes in his shoes. So I won't stand for that. Sometimes it's what moves you that indicates what God is calling you to. And sometimes it's just, I can't stand for that. I won't tolerate that. The walls of the city are torn down. Well, we will rebuild them. We're coming under attack. Then we will fight when the enemy shows up and we will rebuild when the enemy is fleeing. You want me to take my brother's lunch? I'm dead. I'm, I'm like drawing my crown here. I'm trying to figure out exactly how I want my crown to look. There's a lot to, to be king, Dad. I mean, should I say, hear ye, hear ye? Or should I say, what's up? Then he gets to where his brothers are, and his brothers are ridiculing him. Oh, here comes little shepherd boy. Shep, 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 shep. Give him my lunch. Get out of here. Okay, Bubba. Did you hear what he said? Yeah, he's been yelling it for weeks. For weeks? I won't stand for that. You're just a shepherd boy. Go back home. I remember a young man that was in a crowd... One time, and Jesus said, we need to feed the people. And a little boy came up and said, I just got a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. But God, if you can use it, I'll give it to you. And Jesus said, of course I'll use it, son. And he fed everybody. That shepherd boy ran to the front lines with nothing but a slingshot. And I could hear 
inside of David saying, all I've got is this slingshot. But my time in the field, I've gotten really good with it, Lord. If you can use anything, you can use me. God said, I can use you. And our Bible's different forever. Number one, you'll find yourself in Him. Number two, you are strategically made. Number three, it is what moves you oftentimes that will indicate what God is calling you to in a season. Number four, sometimes it's just the fact that you refuse to tolerate. You just can't stand that this injustice is happening. And you've got to make a difference. Bow your heads, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would make yourself known to all of your people today. I ask, Father, that we would recognize who we are in you, that, what, that we would know what we're called to, the season of our life that we're in, that we would recognize who you are and what you've called us to accomplish here and now. I thank you, God, for building us strategically, fearfully and wonderfully. You made us. I ask, Father, that you would enlighten, that you would illuminate the gifts and the talents on the inside of each one of us so that we would know where best to put our hand to the plow, so that we would know Father, and recognize what you've called us to. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Give God a hand of praise. Let's all stand to our feet.